Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. Well, I am so excited to continue this Thanks Living um, series. I am also so glad that Coach Dees is back from Malaysia. He started talking about that 40-day finish, and I was like, just go. Just talk about it, because um, I, I, I don't know if you know my story, but... Um, I begrudgingly did the 40-day finish for many years. And by begrudgingly, I mean I faked it. (laughs) I picked four habits that I already was pretty average at and just put those in because I didn't want to do it. And then I think it was two years ago that I actually took it seriously, not because I suddenly was convicted, but because I was having a lot of pain in my back because I've had five children. And um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to stretch for 40 days Um, found out that I had been telling myself a lie for my whole life, that I'm not just a tight person, that I'm just a person who had never gone 40 days in a row stretching. And I found that I had carried so much anxiety in my body that had nothing to do with my thought processes or the enemy attacking me that had everything to do with my physical nature here on this planet. And you know what happened to me is I got really radical about the fact that there's other things in my life that I'm 40 days away from. And I never, ever, ever want to let 40 days stand in the way again. Today, we are talking about Thanksgiving because we don't want to just have Thanksgiving, although we do need to check this. How many of you do gumbo at Thanksgiving? Anybody? I just need to know. Is there any gumbo? Thank you. I also am trying to make that a thing. So we're doing turkey gumbo. I see you, sir. All right. Um, How many of you are um, dressing people? Where are my stuffing people? Because the, the stuffing people feel different, right? It's different. It must be in the turkey and no, all the, okay, all right, just, you know, it, that's when all this stuff comes out. Like, we realize we have, like, some cultural stuff around food. We think that it's not that big of a deal until somebody starts messing with it and telling us that oysters go into dressing, and we're like, au contraire, <laughs> right? It's just like, it's like one of those things. And so I thought that today, as we're talking about Thanksgiving, that probably the best thing for us to do would be to talk about a story of Jesus at a dinner, right? A story of Jesus at a dinner. So we're going to read out of Luke 14, and we're going to see Jesus at a dinner. But first, quick recap of where we have come from. So in this Thanks Living series, we've been talking about what it looks like to live with thanks, to live with a generous heart and a generous spirit. And if we're going to do that, then we have to look at what the early church did to figure out how to follow Jesus in this area and in every area. And in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. Okay, so we can get out of this four things. One, they were studying the way that Jesus lived. That's what the apostles' teaching was. It was the apostles' teaching about how Jesus lived and what Jesus taught. So they were studying 
how Jesus lived. They were studying what Jesus taught. Then they were fellowshipping. They were practicing living that way together. Because we've talked about this, but we don't do Christianity alone. Because the central command of Christianity is love others the way that Jesus has loved you. That requires people. And then after putting it into practice, they practiced um, inviting others to live that life with them, which we call hospitality. So they invited outsiders to become insiders, even though they hadn't earned the right to be insiders yet. They invited strangers into their table, and then they submitted all of life to God through prayer. And this is the process that the first church went through to figure out how to follow Jesus, and it's the process that you and I have to go through as well. We study, we practice, we invite, and then we pray. And it's circular, so don't put them in order as one is more important than the other. It's just this circular, beautiful thing that we do over and over and over again. And this is what it resulted in. And it resulted in people who saw miracles, gave generously, worshiped daily, lived gratefully, and had a growing community. And so the first church is still in this moment all through the New Testament. But the Apostle Paul is trying to teach people who are not Jews, Gentiles. What is a Gentile? Everybody who's not a Jew, okay? So he's trying to teach these Gentiles how to live according to God's law when they have no conception of what the law was even before. So this is brand new. And he's bringing to them and he's teaching them a new way to live without the backdrop of the Old Testament because they don't know anything about the Old Testament. They only know that there is this man, Jesus, who came and just blew up time and everything has changed. And they're trying to figure out how to follow him. And so he's saying, this is the way Jesus did it. This is how you practice it. Go invite other people. Let's pray. And so we find it in this moment in 2 Corinthians where he writes an entire letter to a church at Corinth, and the letter is actually an offering invitation. It has some other stuff in there, but primarily it's just an offering invitation because he is collecting money from these Gentile churches to take to the church at Jerusalem, which is the central Jewish church. And he is doing this for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because everything has now changed, and the separation between Jews and Gentiles is no more. It's no longer, you take care of yours, I'll take care of mine. Now, the Christians and the church are responsible for each other. And so he's trying to teach these Gentiles, there's a different way to give. There's a different way to live. There's a different way to be generous. It's not the way that you were taught before. It's something brand new. And so he says this, he says, give in proportion to what you have. This is chapter eight, starting in verse 11. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they'll have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. And he jumps down in 
the next chapter and says this, you must each decide. Somebody say decide. In your heart, how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a hilarious giver. For God loves a cheerful giver. So what we learned from this, what we've been talking about is that that he was teaching them how not to give. That, that you don't give reluctantly and in response to pressure. You don't give like, oh, I have to give again. You don't give the way that we give our taxes. But how should we give? We should give decisively. We should decide in our heart and then follow through. We should give according to what we've been given, not what we don't have. We shouldn't go into debt trying to give. We should give according to what we have been given. And we should give not comparing what we give to other people to justify not giving according to what we have. Also, we should give with a cheerful heart, excited, and out of gratitude to God for all that he has given us. And so that's what Paul's teaching, but the backdrop is Jesus's life. Because Paul had to learn about how Jesus lived. And Paul had to learn about what he taught because Paul was not a follower of Jesus while Jesus was on this earth. And so we, last week we're talking through stories that would have informed Paul's view of giving and Paul's view of generosity and Paul's view of hospitality because they're all wrapped up together. And so we land right at Luke 14, where Jesus is at dinner. Somebody say amen. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. He had dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. Okay, Jesus is constantly on this earth while he is on this mission, at dinner, on the way to dinner, or coming from dinner. He is always, that's just one of the reasons why I know, like, we would get along really, really well, you know, because, like, we both love to eat. And so he's at this dinner, but this is what we need to understand, is that he was invited to this dinner, but no one is offering him hospitality. He was invited to this dinner, but it was a trap. See, the leaders in the law did not like the fact that Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. 
This was very, very bad to them. This was horrible to them. And so what um, a lot of scholars say is that they probably invited the man who had dropsy, who had these this paralysis in his body, this person who, who was having a difficult life because in that time, people who were disabled had a very difficult life that they invited this man to the table as a trap for Jesus to see whether or not he would once again violate their standards and heal his people on Sunday. And Jesus is so great because he turns it around and he says, you know what? You make exceptions for the stuff you care about. Because in the law, you could violate all the rules for working on the Sabbath if your animal was in a ditch or if your, somebody's life was in danger. So if somebody fell in a well or if you had to do something immediate, you could, you could violate all the laws just because there was a cow that was stuck in the mud. And he's saying, you care more about your cow than this human being that is standing right here who is in desperate need, whose life will completely change because of this moment of healing. He's teaching them that he is king and he's going to do things differently because he isn't subject to the law. He is the law. And yet he makes himself subject to the law. Isn't that beautiful? And he's trying to say, you've missed the whole point. People matter deeply to me. People matter deeply to me. So they invited him to to be judged. And then he turns around and he heals the guy, doesn't let them judge him because he gives them a better answer for what he has done than anything they, it says that they couldn't say anything. And then we get into the fun part of being at dinner with Jesus. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you're going to be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat's left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, guys, we read that. We're like, that's a good principle. He is sitting at dinner telling people that they are choosing their places wrong. This is him sitting at Thanksgiving, 
going around explaining how everybody has done it wrong. And you thought your mother-in-law criticizing your turkey was a problem, right? I mean, he is telling them your values are off, your decisions are off. And I just want you to know that this is going to lead to bad things in your life. And I can imagine the host kind of sitting there going, that's right. These people are kind of greedy. And so Jesus makes sure that he gets not very comfortable. So he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that'll be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. He is meddling. They invited him to the table to judge him. They invited him to the table to serve as an example of how you aren't supposed to follow God. And instead, he turns it on his head. And with all the confidence that a king could hold, he looks at them and he says, you know what the problem is here? It's not the fact that I've been healing on the Sabbath. It's that all of you have the wrong understanding of hospitality and you have the wrong understanding of generosity and you have the wrong understanding of what should be be important because what you're making important is not important to me at all. And it creates this new basis, this new countercultural way of living. Because just like we talked about in the very first week, the way that Paul was teaching the Gentiles to give was countercultural and radical and incredible. Because in that day, the rich people were the only ones who were expected to give because they had all the power. And you gave so that the poor would praise your name. So if you were wealthy in the city, you gave so that the people you gave to would bring honor to your name. So that the people you gave to would go, oh, great destiny, giver of things. Thank you for what you have done. Her name should be magnified in the streets. And Paul said, no, that's not the way it is in the kingdom. See, everyone is invited to the table and everyone is invited to be an innkeeper. Everyone is invited to the table and everyone is given a chance to be a part of the work of the kingdom. There are not just those who are wealthy who get to be a part of the work of the kingdom. Everybody can give according to what they have. And if you give according to what you have with cheerful heart, it's the same. Everybody gets a part. Everybody gets a moment. And he's saying the same thing here. You don't have to have a big house to offer hospitality. You don't have to have a perfectly manicured yard to invite people to your table. You don't even have to have a home to offer hospitality. Hospitality is the way that you go through life. It's the way that you choose to interact with others. And he's giving us the same thing. He's saying everyone can be hospitable, just like everyone can be generous. And don't do it so you'll get something back. Don't do it so you'll get 
something back. Because in that day, that's exactly why people were inviting people to the table. See, the early church, this whole concept of hospitality outside of being repaid was one of the things that set them apart. It was one of the things that made them different than everybody else around them. It was one of the reasons that the early church exploded because they didn't just invite people who were like them or who could help them. They invited everyone. Everyone was welcome. They were just trying to be like their king. There's a scholar named um, Dr. George Ross, and this is what he says about hospitality. He says, hospitality had a central role in the early church as believers forged a new identity in a hostile culture. As Christians shared meals and resources, and as they opened their lives and their homes to strangers, they formed communities that transcended and changed conventional understandings of households and expressed new understandings of social relations and political identities. Listen to this sentence. The outside world noticed and wondered about this odd assortment of people who claimed to be and acted as if they were family. When we choose to keep inviting everyone, even our enemies to the table, we send a message to culture that we serve a different king and we are part of a different kingdom. This is the generosity of God to us because the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and his death was the great invitation for every one of us. We serve a different king. We are part of a different kingdom. So the way we give, the way we express generosity, the way that we offer hospitality is completely different. And our motivation matters. Our motivation matters. You know what's so sad to me about this story is that Jesus is the only person at the table who offers the man with dropsy hospitality. Here he is. He's invited to the table. But he's not invited for any of the right reasons. He's invited as an example. He's invited as an object lesson. And when we see the people in our lives as problems to be fixed or projects to be managed, we miss the incredible truth that what they really are is just people with dreams and hopes and desires just like us who are loved by God and who God judges as worthy of his son's sacrifice. They are precious. And so we don't invite them to the table to fix them. We don't invite them to the table to manage them. We invite them to the table just because that's exactly how God has invited us. Hospitality is, is Jesus' model, and he seems to be so serious about it. 
It's his model. It's the way that he came into the earth and the way that he changed the world. I mean, if you even think about it, he gives us this beautiful in-between ritual called communion. And we do it with like the little cups. I get it, right? Like, and, and if you've ever been here while we have communion, it's hard to get those open. But in the early church, when people were having communion around their table, it, it was a moment of hospitality. It was a moment of invitation. It was a moment where I, I may not know you, but we share the same Lord. And so my table's open to you. This is Jesus' model. And all we're trying to do is figure out how Jesus lives so that we can live that way too. So that we can love that way too. So that we can invite that way to um, the judgment that's described in Matthew 25. Everybody gets quiet when you say the judgment. It's like, ooh, what's she going to say? Anyway, the judgment described in Matthew 25, it centers on hospitality. For I was hungry, starting in verse 42. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. This is Jesus talking. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. They, talking about the people who are being judged in eternity, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And we look at this and we go, what? It centers on hospitality. We want to talk about all the reasons why somebody might miss heaven, but do we talk about this? Do we talk about what Jesus actually said? Where he said, it's not just about having perfect doctrine, it's about having a different way of living. Here in our community, we we want to be Matthew 25 people. Because we want to be the people who, who feed and give water and clothe and do the things to the extent that we're capable. And so we focus on school poverty here. You've been here five minutes. You probably know that. Like, yes, I've heard you talk about that. Well, we're going to talk about it again. All right? We focus on school poverty here because it's a culture-changing moment. When children have enough to eat, And when they don't go hungry all weekend long and walk into a classroom on Monday morning hangry, or they don't just eat Doritos all weekend long because that was the only thing that was accessible, or when they, do you see what I'm saying? Like when kids have food, they can learn better. When they have proper uniforms, they aren't embarrassed and the classroom culture is better. And so what we have decided as a community is that we are going to seek to end school poverty in Bossier City. Don't tell me it can't be done. It can be done. You know how I know it can be done? It's because there's a number on it. There's a number on it. And so at the end of this year, what what we've decided to do during this Thanksgiving series is, is we've decided to say, hey, let's all get in on this to the extent of what we have, not what we don't have. 
There's people in this room. You can easily feed a thousand kids. You could take care of a whole quarter for all of the hungry kids in Bossier City, which turns out to be almost 300 on the weekends and almost 500 during the breaks. That's a lot of kids. It's more kids than we have adults on Sundays, so that's that's a lot, okay? Some of you could do that, and it would be amazing. It would be easy. Some of you, you go, man, I, I could feed one kid between now and the end of the year. That's about 80 bucks. Some of you are like, I could feed one kid for one weekend. That's about $5. Hey, this is what's cool about the way that we give is it's not about what anybody else can do. It's not about looking around and going, am I doing as much as Clarissa? Or am I doing as much as Adam? Or am I doing as much as Pastor Steve? Or am I doing as much as this person or that person? It's just about doing our part and being a part of what God is doing in our community. Hospitality is Jesus's model and it's an outflow of a generous life. It's an outflow of having a generous mindset. It's an outflow of giving. And you're like, Destiny, you're talking about giving and then you're talking about hospitality. It's all the same. It's all right in there together. The way that we treat our table, the way that we treat our pocketbook, the way that we treat our time, the way that we treat our treasure, it comes down to our philosophy of life. I want to take you through a sentence that teaches us about hospitality because it's a sentence that I often think about and go over in my own life, and it starts with this. Hospitality is a mindset that can be cultivated. Hospitality is a mindset that can be cultivated. Um, We talked about the fact that kids are not born generous, right? A couple weeks ago, I told you in detail how ungenerous my children are. (laughs) And what I mean by that is you're not born, like, wanting to share your toys, you know? You might share the one you don't like very much. Or you might share because something else matters to you more. But when it gets right down to it, we aren't just born with like open, generous hearts. We, we have to learn generosity. We have to, it's easier for some people to learn than others, but we have to learn generosity. We have to be taught generosity. And hospitality is a mindset that can be cultivated. You aren't just a hospitable person or a not hospitable person. You can learn to be a hospitable person. I know because I'm married to Philip D's. And, and in Philip D's perfect world, we would never have anyone to our home ever. Ever. In fact, he would just talk to me and his clients, but that's it. One, because he really likes me. But two, because that's just, that's just his preference, but he's not going to let his preference get in way of the mission. And so he's cultivated in himself a, a mindset of hospitality. We, we do this with our kids when they leave the house. You can ask any of them, who are we looking for? And they know the answer the lonely people. I don't care if they're walking to school or church or wherever. I'm going to holler at them. Who are we looking for? And they're going to yell back the lonely people until that one day that Ella said, mom, I am the lonely people. (laughs) 
but it's a mindset that can be cultivated. And that's what Jesus is telling us in the story. He's saying, hey, you're choosing your seat. You can choose a different seat. You can choose a different response. You can choose a different way to think about this. You can choose a different way to feel about this. You can choose a different value. This is a mindset that is and can be cultivated, but it's more than that. It's a mindset that can be cultivated that results in consistent action. See, Jesus's hospitality mindset came from an ownership identity, an ownership identity. If you're the servant of all, hear me, then you have the right to host every room you walk in. If you're the, right, if you're the servant of all, then you have the right to host every single room that you walk in. I, I think of it a different way. Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So in other words, everything is God's because he created it. And if it's all God's and you're his kid, then you... And I get to offer hospitality everywhere, all the time, to everyone. If he is the host of creation, then we can carry hospitality as his servants. But you cannot offer hospitality in that way if you're still questioning whether or not you belong. You can't offer hospitality in that way if you're questioning whether or not you belong. This, this morning, um, uh, uh, Adam, um, our incredible uh, friend who lives in Florida but lived with us for two years from Sweden is here. If you, if you missed him, you can come and say hi. But anyway, he's back from college, and um, Jen Ream, who works here at the church, had never met him before. And so she met him in the back, and I said, hey, do you all know each other? And she goes, well... She goes, well, he walked up to me and very confidently said, hello. So I knew that, like, you know, he belonged here and that this was his place. He hasn't been here for months. He doesn't live here anymore, but he's an owner in this house. And he acted like it. My question to you is, do you really feel like you belong everywhere your feet are? not because of someone else's invitation, but because you are a child of God and the earth is his and not because you can walk in and be king and lord it over everyone else, but because you were invited into every situation to host and to offer love and to truly be the servant of all. It comes from this incredible ownership mindset. It comes from understanding that there are little things that we can do in every situation to remind ourselves of who we are. Many years ago, I started clearing tables at events, not because I was nervous, but because I wanted to remind myself that I was an owner. I wanted to remind myself that this is my place and that I have a chance to serve other people 
I want to serve them, not because of my position, but because of my core identity. Hosting everywhere, it's an opportunity for all of us. This wasn't Jesus's party. He could have just decided, I don't feel welcome here. After all, I've been invited just to be judged. And instead, he turns around and he offers hospitality to this disabled person. He chooses to host the moment, to bring his calling, despite who else might be at the table. Hospitality is a mindset that can be cultivated, that results in consistent action and invites the supernatural. I'm going to ask Andy to come out and play the guitar. We act like this is practical when there isn't a separation between the practical and the supernatural when it comes to the kingdom of God. Because Jesus came so that you would be empowered to practically live his way. Because without the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you cannot practically walk out the gospel. But when we do this God's way, when we cultivate that mindset, when we have that consistent action of an identity bearer who understands that they are an owner, a humble servant owner, then we're inviting the supernatural into our world. There's a, um, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, uh, make sure that you're hospitable because some of you have entertained angels unaware. Okay, so angels, hospitality angels. Well, how about this? How about the feeding of the 5,000? I mean, Jesus in the New Testament feeds 5,000 people. Wasn't that just a radical moment of hospitality? One scholar thinks so. This is what they say. Jesus tells the disciples to feed these strangers, to treat them as if they are insiders or part of the crew. The command to provide hospitality makes no sense to the disciples because Jesus wanted the disciples to treat the 5,000 outsiders like they were insiders in his chosen band. Miracles happen when we invite people to the table. But you know what else happens? Transformation. There's a story in the Bible about a tax collector who's just like the worst of the worst in this society. They're collaborators with Rome. They're just awful, awful people, oppressing their own people, just awful. Not the IRS, gosh, not the same. These are, these are people who are, who are literally taking children from parents because they can't pay their taxes. These are bad people. And on top of that, a lot of times they were stealing on top of the taxes. It's just awful. And there's this tax collector named Zacchaeus. And when Jesus sees Zacchaeus, he doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, you're a terrible person. Do better. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I'm going to host myself over to your house. Get all your friends, all your tax collector friends, and meet me there. Because the answer to your problem isn't a lecture, it's hospitality. 
And what happens at that dinner is miraculous because Zacchaeus stands up and it looks like on his own initiative, says, I'm not gonna cheat people anymore. And not only that, I'm not just gonna not cheat people going forward, but I'm gonna pay back everything that was owed plus some. That's what real transformation looks like. And we think that it happens because somebody was confronted when really it happens because somebody was invited. Revival has always included an emphasis on hospitality, inviting the stranger to the table. But the first miracle that happens is that practicing hospitality will change us from the inside out. See, practicing hospitality the way that Jesus practiced it will just invite you into a world of inconvenience. Because if you're the host everywhere, if you're offering hospitality to everyone, then you just gave up your right to go off on people. You just gave up your right for that Facebook rant. You just gave up that right to be ugly and to talk about that those kinds of people are this way. You know what that results in? A happier life. Because you think that that makes you feel powerful. You think that that makes you feel special. You think that that's a good thing in your life and it's killing you. And Jesus is saying, there's a whole different way to live. What you think is so important may not be because what's most important to me is people. All the time, all the places, all the people offering hospitality to everyone. Hospitality's his way. It's important to God. It was his idea. You could literally say that all of creation is an example of God's hospitality. I mean, he created an environment for us. Heaven, another example of God's hospitality. He prepared a place for us and then invited us to it, even though we didn't deserve it. It's his way. What's standing in your way? For some of you, you really like the giving messages the last two weeks because it's just so cut and dried. But the thing about generosity is generosity starts to change you from the inside out. So we start to plant seeds of generosity. We start to see our lives change because we're reaping a harvest of generosity on the inside. You know the most miraculous thing about this story? It's not that Jesus healed the man with dropsy. That's a miracle. It's that Jesus accepted an invitation from his enemies. It's that Jesus sat down at a table with his enemies. And I just wonder this Thanksgiving if everything would change if we weren't so worried about whether we were being accepted 
whether we were being supported, whether we were being heard, whether we were being truly invited, whether we were being welcomed. And if we flipped it all in his head and just like Jesus went into every situation, every conversation as a host, totally secure and knowing that the one who created us, loves us and approves of us and that he's given us a job to do, to love and care for other people, whether they agree with us, whether they irritate us, whether they're actively looking to harm us, just like these people were, because the outcome of their judgment wasn't just a little bit of disdain. They were looking for reasons to arrest and punish and ultimately kill Jesus, and he still sat at the table with them. I want us to be people who live lives of hospitality so deep in our heart that when the history books look at North Point Community Church, that what they would say is the same thing they said about the early church. The outside world noticed and wondered about this odd assortment of people who claimed to be and acted as if they were family. Will you stand with me all over this place? you just bow your heads for just a moment? I have two questions for you. First is this, have you truly accepted the hospitality of God? Or are you a little bit like these Pharisees and you've invited him to the table to judge him? And you judge his way by your standards and you're constantly mad because of the things that he's doing that you don't understand. This is the good news, he still comes and he still sits at your table. But if you want to change and you want to truly accept his hospitality, if you want to say, no, Lord, I'm not here to judge you anymore. Instead, I want my ways, my actions to line up with who you are. I want to accept this invitation to just be yours and to go on this journey with you. That's you. Will you just raise your hand all over this place and let me pray for you? I'm ready to accept the hospitality of God. Amen. Amen. I see you. Lord, I pray for every person whose hands are raised and even those who aren't ready to raise their hands yet because you see them. And whether I see their hand or not matters not at all because you see their heart and you see what they want. And so, Lord, I pray that we would all accept your hospitality today, that we wouldn't sit you at our table seeking to judge you, but rather we would invite you to be Lord, to be King, and that we would take on your mandate to serve others. One more group of people, if you just say, Destiny, I needed this today, I needed that whole mindset shift because I wanna be a host everywhere. That's who I wanna be. I wanna be somebody who is a host every single place I go. I understand it's a mindset that needs to be cultivated. I understand that it is something that doesn't happen overnight, that it's a lifelong journey. I understand that, but I wanna see the miraculous in my life and I'm willing to go through that process to take that consistent action because I wanna be a host everywhere. If that's you, will you just join me in raising your hand? And I just wanna pray with you and for me too, because that's who I want to be. I want to be a host. Every single place I go, Lord, you see this group of people, this odd assortment of people who just want to follow you. 
So teach us how, Lord. Show us your truth. Let us practice it. Show us the people to invite into our lives and into our tables. As they walk in to rooms where maybe they are not wanted this week, or they have people who are sitting at their table who are judging them, let them remember this moment that it does not matter how other people receive them, that what matters is the way that we choose to live our lives as hosts and offering hospitality the way that you've offered it to us. No strings attached, no limitations. And Lord, I pray that as we offer hospitality that you'll do what only you can do, that there will be transformation and that there will be miracles. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.